creative babble. All right, this is it. Today's the day. I'm in my Las Vegas hotel room testing out the gear before my ambush interview with Frank Abagnale. I'm armed with a boom mic. It's pretty intimidating. I also wanted to make it crystal clear that I'm recording a podcast. Testing, 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 one, two, three. And no good confrontation interview is complete without video proof of it happening. <laughs> so if I go like this, all right, let's test it out. So I strategically place my iPhone camera in my shirt pocket. Yeah, that's perfect. Right at eye level. Everybody keeps their camera in their pocket, right? <laughs> but let's back up a bit, because I didn't just show up in Vegas hoping to stumble upon America's most beloved con artist. If this thing was gonna work, I needed a plan. So I ran it by Paula Parks, you know, the former flight attendant you heard from in episode two. Paula recently confronted Abagnale during one of his book signings going to be speaking at the Louisiana Business Association or something like that. I said, uh, I'm going to go. I said, what's he going to do? I told Paula I was planning on doing the same thing. I was looking up to see if Frank had any speaking engagements coming up, and he does in Vegas next week. Oh, really? Yeah. So I bought a ticket to go to Las Vegas for this conference, and mm -hmm. I'm going to try to get him to talk and, I, and because I don't think any journalist has actually confronted him, you know, has actually asked him, hey, is it true you were in prison for most of the time that you were supposedly running around the world? And, and you know, I just want to I want to see how he reacts. You know, I tried to get a newspaper reporter to be up there when I confronted Frank. They weren't interested. I'll definitely let you know how that goes. I mean, hopefully I won't get arrested, kicked out. I don't mind, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do get arrested, call me and I'll start a uh, GoFundMe fund <laughs> for you. And <laughs> maybe we'll get notoriety that way. <laughs> that, that's very comforting. Thank you. <laughs> so here's the plan. Frank Abagnale is scheduled to speak at a tech conference hosted at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. This week-long conference features speakers like Terry Bradshaw. And if you know anything about Las Vegas, these venues are massive and swarming with security. I can't just sneak in, interview him, and get out. That would be too risky. So I coughed up 800 bucks and registered for the conference. Shout out to all my Patreon supporters for making that happen. Now I have a legitimate reason for being there. But before I board the plane, I wanted to call Mark Zender, Abagnale's former booking agent, to get a sense of what to expect. And mm -hmm. he's going to be in Las Vegas next week. And so okay. I just booked a flight and uh -huh. bought tickets to this conference. That It's okay. like an IT security conference or something like that. And I'm hoping that that maybe after the event that as he's walking out maybe i could ask him a couple questions i'm not gonna be rude about it but i'm gonna start with a compliment okay you've really turned things around and how did you turn that corner you know like kind of butter him up a little bit yeah uh -huh. and then i want to hit him with like hey so why do you keep telling people that you did all these things when it's pretty clear from this paper that i'm holding in my hand that you were in jail the entire time yeah. i doubt he's gonna answer any of my questions and maybe, and I even run the risk of maybe not even seeing him at all. Like, I don't know if there's like a backstage and, or if he has a posse or something, you know? So. <laughs> tell, tell, tell him you have a young lady you would like him to meet. Oh, 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 I say, I, like bait. I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But what do you think? I mean, from traveling with him, do you think that he's going to kind of sneak out or does he have a, an entourage with him or what? Well, I've never known him to have an entourage, but, but again, that was 40 years ago, right? He's very personable and lo loves talk mainly about himself. Right. So, but again, this is all 40 years ago. So yeah. Well, I, I think that if I could get him talking about himself, you know, and then kind of hit him when he least expected, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I think that if, if he doesn't feel 
threatened at all. I think that uh, I think he'll sit down and talk to you. I really do. Well, let's hope. This is at the MGM, so it's kind of a big venue. We'll, yeah, we'll see. It's a. I mean, I might go out there and just waste a bunch of money, but. Uh. <laughs> well, um, I, I do have one bit of advice. All right, but he's prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, and and usually he'll say, "Oh, people are too embarrassed," and, and that's why they don't want to admit that I actually did this stuff. I stole from them. And that's his, that's his basic line. Right. It's just too embarrassed. So just be prepared for that stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm slightly terrified of what's going to happen. Yeah, no, no, no. You'll 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 do fine. He's a nice guy. He 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 really is just a gentle pussycat. He really is. He's a nice guy. He just you know he, he loves to tell stories and he doesn't like to be called out as a liar. Right. All right. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Bye, Take Mark. Care. Honestly, I'm not worried about Abagnale. I'm more concerned about crashing this conference and dealing with a casino security team. Eh, I'll figure it out. You know, this was supposed to be the last episode in this series. The big finale. But who am I kidding? There's no way I can wrap up this story in just one episode. I mean, this happens every time I'm in the middle of an investigation. The episodes go out in the wild, new leads and witnesses come out of the woodwork, and I go deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. So buckle up, we're discovering new stories about Frank Abagnale never heard before. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. We'll get back to my confrontation with Frank Abagnale in Las Vegas in just a bit. But first, let's tie up some loose ends. After getting busted for stealing from a kid's summer camp and ripping off his own girlfriend, Abagnale heads over to an orphanage in Houston and poses as a social worker. Yeah, I still can't get my mind wrapped around that one. It's not clear why he went to the orphanage, but if you believe Abagnale's version of the story, he was working at the kid's home as an undercover agent for the FBI. I'll let Mr. Frank Abagnale explain. So I was on an undercover assignment, as a, and in this particular assignment I was a social worker at this institution and supposedly had an MSW degree from Columbia University. I was from Virginia, had a totally different name. Presumably, this is one of his first undercover gigs with the FBI. And he broke rule number one of any undercover job. You don't let anyone know your super duper top secret identity. Come on, everybody knows this. Most of the time when I was on an assignment, I didn't get involved with people. I always left very abruptly, like I had a death in the family or something when the assignment was over. But not this time. He really screwed everything up. Abignell says a girl working at the orphanage caught his eye, and that girl's name is Kelly Welby's. And you never break protocol. It's something you're absolutely never supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But I took her to the park and I said, I have to leave. And she was very shocked by that. And I said, I'm leaving today. 
I need to tell you that, first of all, this is not my name. I don't have a master's of social work. I didn't go to Columbia. I, I'm not from Virginia. This is my real name. And I was there because I worked for the government and I was on an assignment and my assignment's over. So she looked at me and she said, so I guess you're telling me you're a federal agent? And I said, not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Welby's will soon become Mrs. Abagnale. And you know what they say, a woman can make an average man great and a great man pretty average. I don't think anyone really says that. But according to Abagnale, it was Kelly who tamed the wild con man. Forty plus years ago on an undercover assignment in Houston, Texas, I met my wife. When the assignment was over, I broke protocol to tell her who I really was. I didn't have a dime to my name, but I eventually asked her to marry me against the wishes of her parents. Of course, I'm pretty sure Abagnale was not working undercover at an orphanage, but with all his lies, there's always a grain of truth. Here's what we know. Kelly Welby's, his girlfriend and future wife, does have a master's degree in social work from Rice University. Jim Blackman, Abagnale's parole officer, stated that Abagnale had a girlfriend from a local university create him a phony master's degree. Could that girlfriend have been Kelly Welby's? Hmm, I don't know. One can only speculate. But either way, if Kelly has a master's degree in social work, it makes sense that she met him at an orphanage in Houston. Let's take a quick detour for a second. Frank Abagnale is typically very consistent with his stories. He often recites his tales word for word, but sometimes, sometimes, in the rare occasions, he deviates. About 19 years ago in a grocery store in Houston, Texas, a young girl decided to become my wife. I was stocking groceries. I didn't have a dime to my name. I told her I had been in prison and that anyone could send me back to prison at any time. Yet she became my wife anyway. She changed my life. Wait, wait, wait. I thought he met Kelly while working undercover at the orphanage. Now he says he met her while bagging groceries? Why did he change his story? I guess stocking shelves doesn't sound as sexy as being an undercover agent working at an orphanage. So the story evolved. You know, I bet back in the day when he was making all this up, he never envisioned that 40-something years later, a little Cuban with way too much time on his hands would comb through this website called YouTube and compare everything he said. Anyway, back to what really happened at the orphanage. When his parole officer, Jim Blackman, found out that his offender was masquerading as a social worker, he made Abagnale quit on the spot. Instead of turning him in, his parole officer, Jim Blackman, told me that he had Abagnale move into his garage so he can straighten him out. And for a while there, it actually appeared that Abagnale was changing his criminal ways. But come on, it's Frank Abagnale we're talking about here. Abagnale landed a job at a health insurance company called Aetna, but it didn't last very long. Court records show that the company ended up suing Abagnale for check fraud. Yeah, he was accused of scamming his own employer. Did he really think he was going to get away with it? Fortunately for Abagnale, Aetna didn't press any criminal charges. It's now 1976. And remember JR? You know, the girl that Abagnale was dating before he moved in with Kelly Welby's? Well, JR is working at a department store one day when court officers show up unexpectedly and serve her with papers. She's been sued for unpaid credit card charges and loans. Charges she says that Abagnale made under her name without her knowledge. While JR is left with all this debt, Abagnale just walks away and never looks back. Why? Because he found his partner, his bride, his ride or die. Marrying Kelly Welby's marks a new chapter in the con man's life. Did his new bride believe all his lies, or did she have a hand in creating it? We can only speculate. The reason why I say this is because something happened around this time. Because somehow this ding-dong who writes bad checks using his own name and tries ripping off his own job suddenly becomes this mastermind con artist overnight. In 1976, after marrying Kelly Welby's, Frank Abagnale opens up his own consulting business. He books his infamous appearance on To Tell the Truth. It was like magic. All of a sudden, this guy went from being a petty thief to a genius con man. How did that happen? Now it's 1978, decades before going viral was even a thing. But Abagnale was trending. Trying to capture the momentum from his short appearance on To Tell the Truth, 
Abagnale produces a 17-page press kit. This thing is nice. His signature is embossed on the cover. There are full bleed pictures recounting his fabricated tales of posing as a doctor, a pilot, a lawyer, and a professor. What an incredible story. A story that landed him on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. You know how hard it is to book an appearance on The Tonight Show? It's not easy. So how did this happen? Just the other day, he was sleeping at a kid's summer camp, stealing all their camera equipment. Oh, and don't forget, he was also hanging out at an orphanage, posing as a social worker while he was on parole. I wanted to know how a relative nobody caught the attention of the most famous TV host in America. So I called up Bev Jednak, a publicist who at the time worked for Martin E. Janis and Company, a public relations firm. I was the person. I was the one that actually lined up the pre-interview, got him scheduled for that April appearance on The Tonight Show. Bev's former public relations firm is a heavy hitter. They represented former President Nixon and both Bush presidents. Again, how does Abagnale, a petty thief, get paired up with a public relations firm like this? Bev Jednak says that by the time Abagnale landed on her desk, the reformed con man was in partnership with a company called Telecheck. And the Telecheck, um, there. She doesn't know with 100% certainty, but she suspects that Telecheck must have heard Abagnale speak at a business luncheon. They had hired Frank to be a spokesperson because Frank had told them, hey, your system is so great. You're the only one I would have been able to beat. I never would have been able to write all these bad checks. And they thought it was a great deal. When Bev landed him a spot on The Tonight Show, the goal was for Abagnale to sneak in a plug for Telecheck. Bev met with Abagnale and his wife Kelly to go over everything. But something, something just didn't feel right. And somewhere during that conversation, he leans in and he said something with a look on his face that to me was like, this guy is still a con. I, you know how you, you're talking to someone and they, all of a sudden the look changed. And it was just my gut said, this guy's still a con man. You know, it was like, Ugh. I'm talking to a friend of mine who was a police officer in New York. And I said, yeah, I'm going to go do this thing with this guy who says he's a con man. But, but, you know, would you see if he really has a record? So he goes, well, I'm not supposed to do this, but he was a sergeant. So he was able to pull the rap sheet and his words to me were, what are you doing hanging around with scum like this? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what? Then he's reading the rap sheet to me. And I remember writing it all down. And I went into the to the man who actually owned the agency. And I said, did we really want to, you know, be doing this? He said, don't worry about it. He said, you know, he says he's a con. So if he's a con, you've got the Tonight Show. Just get the, you know, get out there and make it happen. Despite her gut feeling, the Carson appearance was a go. My boss is telling me, oh, you better go out there and be with him, you know, make sure he says telecheck. Well, you know, how am I going to do that when he's on the show with Carson? But I go out and I get out a day early and I tell Frank, you know, I'm coming out. When are you going to get there, Frank? Oh, I'll be coming in that night to Houston. And by the way, Kelly was with him almost all the time at this time. So I get out there the day before the taping and I'm in California and I talk to Frank on the phone. He goes, I'll meet you at the studio. And my gut's telling me, no, you're not going to meet me at the studio. I'll meet you at the airport and we can go to the studio together. Because at that time, this was at 72, you could still go into an airport and right up to a gate. To the gate. So there I am at LAX, right at the gate when he comes off. And the look on his and Kelly's face when they saw me was like, oh, shit, what is she doing here? (laughs) So, of course, they're being very nice in the car and all that. And then we get to the Tonight Show. And we get in the green room and we're all in there. So he gets on the show. He got almost 15 minutes on that show. I mean, it was the last segment, but it was a long segment. He's yakking up a storm, getting laughs. And not once does he mention telecheck. And I'm sitting in the green room thinking, oh, shit, I'm going to hear it about this. You know, he's got 15 minutes. And of course, this is taped at 5.30 in the afternoon. The client's calling everybody saying, you know, tonight we're going to be on Tonight Show. Well, I have to call the client and say, we just got done with the taping. He never once mentioned Telecheck. Oh, well, man. needless to say, that was like a huge, huge thing. He could say, yeah, there's this service that I that I wouldn't have been able to beat today. It's, I think it's called Telecheck. That would have been, That would have been the price of admission. He didn't do that. 
Frank Abagnale was getting paid for this. He had one job, and that job was to mention Telecheck. And it wasn't like he ran out of time or didn't have a natural segue. Johnny Carson kept him on for multiple segments. And do you think he just, do you think it was just, it slid his mind? No, I think, I think in hindsight, I honestly, truly think that Frank figured this was his ticket to the big time. He didn't want to see me there because he had in his mind what he was going to do. And my being there was at, because when he was surprised to see me there, that was a red flag, even to me at the time. I mean, my gut said, oh, he's not expecting me. And it was a great career boost to be able to get somebody on The Tonight Show. I mean, it, it's fun to tell people I did that and I was there and it was Johnny Carson, you know, when it was at its A-Day. But it also is horrible that that show is what propelled everything else that hurt everyone else. Because without The Tonight Show, he would have just been getting little odds and ends here and there. You know, Telecheck fired us and, and um, well, you know how it is in the agency business. No, I, so I don't. Great. I mean, your ass was on the line that night. Yeah. And it was, and I'm this young kid thinking it was great. What, what did you tell Frank afterwards when he, when the, well, when the segment was over? Well, no, you know what Frank said to me in the car? He asked me, he asked me, he says, do you think Telecheck is going to be mad that I didn't mention them? And I think, I don't remember my exact words at all, but I think I said something like, well, I don't think they're going to be too happy about it. And he said, oh, well, so, and I mean, so that was it. And so I go back and I call my boss and my boss makes me call the client. But you must have been pissed right after that. that Oh, I was, I was like practically in tears when I got to the hotel room, when I had to call. The thing that was awful was when I had to make the call. And tell them, yeah, we were on. We got 15 minutes of time. Not once did he mention Telecheck. That was the worst. But here's my real question. How does this small-time crook who writes bad checks under his real name get connected with someone like you? Um, Abagnale was doing talks before the various Houston business associations. And my guess is that Telecheck heard him there and probably talked to him afterwards. Now, how did he get to the to um, to tell the truth? I don't know. He's a he's a grifter. He probably ran into someone who heard the story, thought it was great and got him on there. Or Kelly may have reached out because at that time he was married to Kelly. So I'm sure Kelly was around and she was pretty smart. She was a smart cookie. So I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Kelly didn't put him on there. I can't say that for a fact, but it would not surprise me. But you, you're kind of nailing it right there because before, to tell the truth, he was just a small-time crook. And all of a sudden, boom, he's on to tell the truth. He's on Carson. He has this whole story about the doctor, professor, uh, lawyer thing. But before that, that didn't exist. But it all kind of coincides with Kelly when he met and married Kelly. And I think it's Kelly because Kelly was between the two of them. I mean, she is very, very bright. And I got the distinct impression that she sort of was running his career and she was the brains behind taking Kelly was in my opinion, she probably was a pretty good PR person in taking a story and, and creating something out of it. Yeah, um, she took a, a, a big rock and shined it up. <laughs> But Bev couldn't shake the feeling, the feeling that maybe she helped create Frankenstein's monster. This was at the beginning. This was the beginning. and There I was would just be no Frank Abagnale, right? There would be no Frank. I mean, there might have been, but I don't know. I mean, there might have been. I, you know, if I had never sent the pitch to the cartoon show, would they have gotten to him? Because I'm the one that made sure the pre-interview took place and then set up the interview time. I know that it was me. I mean, I know it was me. Like Alan Logan, the author of The Greatest Hoax on Earth, says, This guy just shot out of a cannon. Before this, no one knew who he was. No newspaper ever printed a story about any of the things he claims he did. He came out of nowhere. After his Carson appearance, though, everyone wanted a piece of Abagnale. When we come back, we're going to talk about Frank Abagnale's longest con.
like a moth caterpillar molting, Frank Abagnale formed a new, more sophisticated appearance while crawling out and leaving his old swindler skin behind. He posed as a doctor, an airline pilot, a college professor, an FBI agent, and a lawyer. Frank Abagnale was suddenly everywhere there was a camera or a stage. Today, Frank Abagnale is a millionaire in his own right, one of the good guys. He is a con man turned straight. Yeah, a con man turned straight. At least that's what he wanted the media to believe. But like Abagnale says, once a con man, always a con man. Abagnale turned his 17-page press kit into a manuscript, and that manuscript turned into the New York Times best-selling autobiography, Catch Me If You Can. Abagnale was on fire, baby. He needed to capitalize on his newfound fame. As a speaker, he could make a fortune, but he didn't know where to start. So he hired Mark Zinder, a young promoter straight out of college. I used to travel with him. Uh, he, he, would, he would do 100 speeches, 200 speeches a year, and I would go with him to these speeches. But again, like everyone who crosses paths with Abagnale, he was bound to get burned. Mark Zinder says that he was bamboozled by Abagnale not once, but twice. During their first year working together, Abagnale gave Zinder an impossible challenge for a first-time speaker. If I booked him at least 50 times that first year, he would give me a $5,000 bonus. And Zinder did it. He booked him 50 times. But when he went to go get his $5,000 bonus, he says that Frank Abagnale told him not so fast. I'm not exactly sure what he said in word for word, but it was basically, I'm not paying you. <laughs> you called him a con man. That's right? kind of the money. Right. I called him a con man. I called him a con man. How did he take that, by the way? Well, not, that, that, was, that was the final nail in the coffin. And so I came in the office the next day and he had written a note on my desk that he didn't want to work with me anymore and that... Uh, and then we we're done. And then he did pay me the $5,000 bonus. But that was that was the end of our relationship. Mark Zinder and Abagnale went their separate ways. Abagnale started booking his own gigs. But after a year, things started slowing down and he was struggling to find a stage to tell his story. He needed Mark Zinder back. This is the second time Mark Zinder says that Abagnale screwed him over. But this last time nearly left Zinder living on the streets. Let me explain. When Frank Abagnale came crawling back, Mark Zinder was representing multiple speakers and performers. He didn't need Abagnale, but he decided to take the reformed con man back. It was during this time that Mark Zinder applied for his talent to speak at the NACA conference, which is like the Super Bowl for anyone hoping to break out in the college speaking circuits. This was a big deal, and it was going to cost Mark Zinder a lot of money. So applying to get a talent at this conference is very expensive. So you're very judicious on how many you can apply. He submitted three of his top talent. Hoping that one comes through and I get the letter. Congratulations, Mark Zinder. We have chosen all three of your, of your. Oh, wow. All three, all three. But we don't want Frank on the speaker stage. We want Frank to be the keynote after dinner <laughs> speaker at the opening ceremony, not 20 minutes, the entire 60 minutes in front of all 3,000 students. <laughs> I'm going to make a fortune in three days, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to book these, this talent. I'm going to fill their calendars. I mean, it's all right there. So it's the day before. I've got television sets with videos. I've got audio so you can listen to his speech. I've got full page ads in, in the magazine. We've, we've gone all in. I've borrowed money from the bank. <laughs> I've gone all in. So I'm setting up and the students are starting to arrive. And these kids walk up to my booth and go, hey, you know, where's Frank? I went, you know, he'll be here tomorrow. I'm not, you know, I'm, have you heard? Heard, heard, heard what? Oh, nothing. No, 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 no. <laughs> Heard what? <laughs> so, oh, we're students at, I forgot the name of the university, and we're in the criminology department. And Frank came and spoke at our school, the one school he booked the year before. He came and spoke at our school, and uh, we went to our professor saying, hey, if we go listen to this guy speak, can we get extra credit? And the professor said, no, but do some research on the guy afterwards. And um, turn in the paper, and then I'll consider it. 
And so these are the kids in the criminology department that did the research to discover that he was a fraud. <laughs> and this is like really the first time it's done. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is this is now happening. It is 24 hours before this conference starts, right? I've got so much invested in this. So I go to the payphone, which is what we had back then, you know, and I'm calling Frank every every five minutes, every 10. I'm just calling him. And he won't, he won't answer. He won't answer. He won't answer. And I wasn't sure who was telling the truth. I wasn't sure if it was the kids or if it was Frank. I still wasn't sure. And so he finally picks up. You know, once again, this was 40 years ago. I remember in detail, word for word, this conversation with Frank. This, this, is, this, this is not a false memory. So he picks up and I say, I know. And he says, I know you know, right? That's when I finally realized, right, the kids are telling the truth, right? And then he says to me, it'll, Jake, it'll just take me $10,000 for me to solve my problem. Click. Was I just threatened? <laughs> Mark Zender interpreted this as a death threat. $10,000 to hire a hitman and take care of the problem. I don't know how serious this threat was, but it doesn't matter because that's the way Mark Zinder perceived it. Suddenly, word got out that Abagnale pulled out of the event, and then Zinder's other two acts decided to pull out too. He says to me, Mark, not a good time to be working with you. He's a no-show. <laughs> oh my God. This is like the day before the event? This is the day before. And the comics, the comics, same thing. I don't think it's a good time to be associated with you. They're a no-show. So a few hours earlier, I was on top of the world. <laughs> and now, boom, because I've spent so much money. Oh, I can't imagine. Oh, God. It's, oh, of course not. After their split, Abagnale found his footing and made a lucrative speaking career. By the time the movie came out, Abagnale was charging a lecture fee of $15,000. Today, Abagnale reportedly cashes in twenty to thirty thousand dollars per speaking engagement. It said so on his website. Not bad for an hour's worth of work. He basically walked up on stage, spouted a bunch of lies, and cashed thirty thousand dollars. Jeez, what a racket! Good morning, folks. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. When I heard him speak in Vegas, he mainly focused on cybersecurity and only alluded to his past crimes. Can you imagine? Thousands of conference attendees salivating, waiting to hear the real story behind the hit film. And instead, he shows them a bunch of PowerPoint slides of third-party stats. That's like going to see the Rolling Stones play live, and they never play Satisfaction. They just play a bunch of covers. What a letdown. Think about it. He's talking to a room of cybersecurity experts about cyber fraud using research he didn't even personally conduct. Let that sink in. And that is the biggest con of them all. When we come back, we're going to talk about the mystery that's been bothering me this whole time. Does Frank Abagnale really work for the FBI? The answer is not very clear. Since 1980, Frank Abagnale claims he books hundreds of speaking gigs a year, and there's only 365 days a year. When he's not on the road, Frank Abagnale claims he's working full-time for the FBI. How does he find the time? Remember, according to the story that we've all admired for years, Abagnale was busted by the FBI at the age of 22 and was pulled out of prison so he could start working for the government agency. Then they started realizing I'd be a great asset to teach at the FBI Academy. So I've, I've been at the Academy 40 years. I've taught two generations of FBI and what do you Here's Abagnale telling the Oklahoma State University president about his FBI career. And what do you there. teach? What, what uh, everything's changed. You know, when I first went there, it was all about counterfeiting, forgery, embezzlement, financial crimes. Uh, now the last 20 years, all about cybercrime. What was it that the FBI saw in you that they thought they could use because really, you just were really good at conning people. Right, and absolutely. So the first five years, I just did undercover work. 
And what the whole asset that the Bureau saw in me was that they could literally say to me, I need you in the next two weeks to take up this information. You're a lieutenant in the Army. You've been in the Army for this many years. Your expertise is this particular missile. And I need you to go to the base, and I need you to find out this information. They knew that they could put me in any position that I could fake long enough in that position to find out whatever they wanted me to find so out. In a, in a this claim of working for the FBI is the most puzzling part of Abagnale's story. Because I don't believe it's true, but I also can't prove it's not. The first thing we did was contact the FBI and ask them point blank if Abagnale works for them. It should be a pretty straightforward answer. The FBI replied to my fact checker, Kate, and said that they would get back to us. Here's the thing. We know that the FBI wasn't chasing Abagnale for years. The FBI has bigger fish to fry. They deal with big dollar interstate crimes and other investigations involving our national security. They don't have time or the resources to deal with this huckster who cashes bogus checks using his own name. When reporter Ira Perry looked into these claims, he tracked down a former FBI agent named Robert Frank. Robert Frank is an agent whose name gets thrown around a lot to add credibility to Abagnale's claims. When Perry asked retired agent Frank if he was chasing Abagnale, Frank said, I've never met the guy. That damn Abagnale uses my name all over the place. Clearly, this former agent was annoyed. Another FBI agent often referred to is Special Agent Joseph Shea. Shea, by the way, is the inspiration for Tom Hanks' character in the movie. Here's Abagnale talking about Shea on The Jordan Harbinger Show. Is it true that you were close to the FBI agent that ended up catching you? Yeah, his real name was Joe Shea, S-H-E-A. He's a wonderful man. He and I were friends for 30 years. He didn't want his real name used in the, the movie. He was on the set during the making of the film. Shea probably didn't want his real name in the film because he really didn't do any of the things portrayed in the movie. According to Abagnale, Shea is the agent who started chasing him when he was 16 years old and finally caught him at the age of 22. In reality, Shea didn't even know Abagnale existed until days before his arrest. Remember, the only time the FBI really got involved was after Abagnale cashed those 10 bogus airline payroll checks when he was 22 years old. There was no chase. Author Alan Logan was able to find a newspaper article that states that Abagnale was only in Georgia for two days, two days before he was arrested in a motel by the FBI. It was a two-day chase, not six years, as he famously claims. According to Abagnale, after his FBI arrest, he was sent to the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary and escaped. By the way, he claims that Agent Shea was so frustrated by the con man that Shea decided to quit the Bureau and retire two weeks later. The truth is that Abagnale never escaped prison, and Shea continued working for the FBI for another seven years. Unfortunately, Special Agent Joseph Shea passed away. But I wonder, I wonder what he would think of all this. After all, Agent Shea reportedly visited the Catch Me If You Can movie set. He also walked down the red carpet during the movie's premiere. Surely he knew that the film based on a true story was mostly made up, right? Maybe he knew this and just chalked it up to the fact that it's Hollywood. Of course it's exaggerated. I guess we'll never really know. So did Frank Abagnale really work for the FBI? Who in their right mind would go on national television and impersonate an officer? Isn't that illegal? If it's not true, wouldn't the FBI just immediately shut this guy down? Title 18, U.S. Code, Section 912 states, Whoever falsely assumes or pretends to be an officer or employee acting under the authority of the United States or any department, agency, or officer thereof, and acts as such or in such pretended character demands or obtains money, paper, document, or things of value, shall be fined under this title or in prison not more than three years or both. Every time Abagnale gets on stage, he claims that he's been working for the FBI for the last 40-something years, okay? He's getting paid by these companies because they believe he works for the FBI and is some sort of expert. I mean, I'm no lawyer, but uh, it seems kind of illegal to me. However, from what I can tell, very few people actually go to prison for this charge. You know, all this got me thinking, what do other federal agents think about Abagnale? 
I spoke with Ira Winkler, a former NSA agent who had a run-in with Abagnale. I began my career at the National Security Agency in 1994. It was the first major cyber crime where a Russian broke into Citibank and stole $12 million, and I was on one of the investigators on that. Today, Winkler is retired from the National Security Agency and works in the cybersecurity industry, the same industry Abagnale claims to be an expert in. In the cybersecurity community, there are a lot of people who don't like, you know, being on the same platform as a criminal. I had an encounter with him, to put it mildly. <laughs> and what, what, what happened? What went down? Well, it was kind of, so. Here's the thing. One of my good friends was Howard Schmidt. Howard Schmidt was a cybersecurity advisor for two presidents. During the time of Winkler's encounter with Abagnale, Howard Schmidt was working for the Obama White House. So anyway, I was speaking at an event in Singapore. Abagnale was the keynote speaker there, and I was speaking. And then what happened was I was flying back. I believe it was a Friday after the event and i was in at the time delta one which is their first class and i looked at as the flight was you know preparing to take off and i noticed abagnale was two seats behind me or so i mean during the talk he mentioned how he's proud that he works with you know proud to work for the fbi now and i'm thinking there's no way he works for the fbi Given that, I mean, he travels the world making high-paid speaking engagements. The FBI does not give people time off to travel around the world. I used to work for NSA as a government employee. They don't just randomly say, hey, go out and make $15,000 giving a talk. I was curious because I wanted to frankly ask him about the difference on how he mentioned how the FBI got him out to support their efforts. And so I was going to approach him about that. Then I thought, okay, let me start with a soft sell. And I approached him. And the first question I said, excuse me, um, you know, I saw your talk. I noticed how you said you worked for the FBI. I go, what specifically did you do for the FBI? He's like, oh, I was a special agent. I'm like, really? I go like a full, what, you know, he's like, yeah, full, you know, I'm a full-fledged agent. I'm like, really? And then I sat down because I knew I was getting complete bullshit. But then I thought, hey, let me double check this just in case maybe I'm wrong. I go back to my seat. And from the seat, I text Howard Schmidt. I go, Howard, I'm on a plane with Frank Abagnale. And he is telling me that he is a special agent for the FBI. Do you have any feedback on this? And Howard Schmidt texts back to the effect, I don't remember the exact words, I remember distinctly, it was to the effect, what a fucking liar, that guy can't tell the truth for a life of him, there's no fucking way he works for the FBI. And Howard was not the type who would easily curse. I contacted my friend Jerry Williams, the host of FBI Retired Case File Review. Jerry Williams was a real bonafide FBI agent. I wonder what her take is on all this. So you know a lot of agents. You've been in this field for a long, long time. And I have to imagine that the name Frank Abagnale has crossed your mind a couple times here and there throughout the years, right? As an agent who primarily worked fraud and corruption type cases, Absolutely. But Jerry says that she never really heard his name until after the movie came out. You know, it was directed by Steven Spielberg. So, yeah, I'm going to watch it. And I'm going to at least initially believe if they say it's a true story, it's a true story. But you professionally have never encountered Abagnale, right? Oh, not at all. I've known that he has spoken before some of the FBI Academy groups, which is a, a a citizens group not directly connected with the FBI, but but definitely partnered with the FBI. But when you were in Quantico going through training, did Frank Abagnale ever teach any of your ethics classes? No. 
<laughs> there would be no need. There would be no need to have anybody from the outside teach an ethics class when we have, you know, trained and skilled and certified agents who actually have done the investigative work come to the class and instruct us. But but Jerry, he's not from the outside. He claims that for the last 40 years, he's a supervisory special agent for the FBI. He he wakes up Monday morning from his Charleston Island home and drives to the airport, flies to D.C., works Monday through Friday at the FBI, and then flies back to Charleston at the end of the week. And my question to you is, why? Why would we need Frank Abagnale to do that for us? Again, we have trained agents who have studied, who have participated in undercover cases, who have spent years investigating many of the top con men in the world. Why would we need Frank to come in to work for us and to do some of the things that he's claimed? Frank Abagnale claims that he was chosen by the FBI to go on all these undercover missions because, you know, he's such a great impersonator. But but now, like you've heard in this podcast, I mean, he wasn't a great impersonator. He was just a guy with a cosplay fetish who liked to dress up in a pilot uniform. Why would the FBI ever use a non-agent in an undercover role? So like as an informant or a cooperating witness? Tell me about that. Sometimes it's very difficult for the FBI to know what's going on in a criminal enterprise. You know, it's difficult for them to get an undercover agent in or get a wiretap going on. And so the only way they can learn about the crime is to have the cooperation of an informant or a cooperating witness, somebody who is involved in the crime in some way or another who can come back to the FBI and say, this is what's being done, this is what's being said, and these are the methods that they're using. Well, I'm going to give you a scenario, okay? And you tell me if you think that this sounds like something the FBI would do, okay? So Abagnale claims that that he has such great photographic memory that the FBI director himself, Clarence Kelly, directed him to go undercover so that he can memorize the components of military hardware and infiltrate a base as a lieutenant. And Abagnale says that Kelly's instructions, the director, the FBI director's instructions were, okay, you're a lieutenant in the Army. You have been in the Army for many years. Your expertise is is this missile. I need you to learn all of it in two weeks, and I'm going to send you to this base, and I want you to find out what's going on in this particular area. He knew that no matter what assignment he gave me undercover, I could go do it, whether it was a scientist at a lab in New Mexico, whether it was a doctor in a hospital. He knew that I could get away with it, make it believe, people believe that I was that person without any doubt, and that's how they used me. And then Abigail also says that uh, the director, Kelly, also sent him on secret missions to a science lab in New Mexico. I'm guessing Roswell, but that's just me. What what do you think? What do you think about some of these claims? I call bullshit. <laughs> so so none of that sounds realistic. <laughs> Again, I have to say, why? Why do we need Frank to do that when we have agents who could do that? I can tell you one thing that can always be a clue. If anybody tells you that they got a, an assignment directly from the FBI director right from the head of the FBI, you know for a fact it's bullshit. It It just just never happens? It doesn't happen that way. We're going to continue our discussion about the FBI in our next episode, but now let's go back to Vegas, where I'm going to talk to Frank Abagnale, mano a mano. That's next, after the break.
So I'm here in Las Vegas. Tomorrow I'm going to approach Frank Abagnale because, you know, supposedly he was running around the world, he was a pilot, he was a doctor, he was an attorney, but it turns out that he was really in jail the whole time. His story is most likely baloney. So I'm just gonna walk up to him and show him his arrest records and see what he has to say. Wish me luck. I flew in the day before the event, you know, just to scope things out. And while walking down Las Vegas Boulevard, I got to thinking, do people even know who Frank Abagnale is? I ran into two Las Vegas showgirls. You know, the ladies who walk around Las Vegas in these skimpy outfits covered in rhinestone jewelry and topped with a colorful headdress made out of ostrich feathers. Yeah, those girls. So, have you ladies ever heard of Frank Abagnale? No. Have you ever heard of the movie Catch Me If You Can? No. no. It sounds familiar. Yeah, it sounds familiar. It sounds so familiar. Nope. That's, cool. That's not good. I started getting this feeling that maybe I'm covering a story about a has-been who has no relevance in today's culture. So have you watched the movie Catch Me If You Can? Yeah. It's uh, Frank Abagnale's story. Yeah. And was it based on a real story? Yeah. Yeah. So how much of that story do you think is true? Um, I'd say probably 80%. 80%. What if I told you that he made up like 90% of it? The really? whole time he was doing all these adventures, he was actually sitting in jail. Uh, really? His arrest report. It turns out that maybe these Vegas showgirls were in the minority. Most people I spoke to in Vegas had either heard of the movie Catch Me If You Can or bought into the legend of Frank Abagnale. As I kept walking down the strip, I ran into this lovely British couple. Have you ever heard of Frank Abagnale? No. Have you ever heard of the movie Catch Me If You Can? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. It's one with Leonardo DiCaprio, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And it's that guy who basically, um... oh my God, I can't remember. So he basically commits identity fraud the entire time, doesn't he? Yeah. So he goes from acting like as a pilot to a lawyer to just various other careers. <laughs> and and it was, uh, was that real or was that fake? Like, was that based on a true story? Ricky said it was a real story, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was a real story, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it turns out that it's complete bullshit. Is it? Yeah. He made it the whole thing. Yeah. Really? He was in jail the whole time that he was supposedly doing all these fantastic crimes. <laughs> He's a good storyteller, though, isn't he? So, have you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Absolutely. I love Leo. Yeah. Of course. What, what is that movie about? Um, he was a pilot who was a total scammer and literally cut checks illegally and was just the most atrocious human being, but, like, made it out. And he's hot, so he could get away with it. Anyway. Oh, he's going to be speaking at the MGM Grand tomorrow? But the whole story is baloney. He made the whole thing up. But like everybody thinks it's true. Dope. I love that. So I'm going to confront him tomorrow. But I just wanted to like. You are? Yeah. So I just wanted to like. I totally am. But first, I got to scope out the place. Tomorrow is a big day. But if I'm going to do this, I need to figure out which way the speaker enters and exits the stage. The plan is after he finishes speaking, I'm going to rush to the side of the stage. But will he exit left? or right. I have a 50-50 chance of getting this right. My gut says that he's going to exit stage left. But the moment he walks out that door, he can escape through a door that I just don't have access to. My stomach is sick. There's a really, really good chance that I won't be able to get him in time. Next, I have to figure out a getaway plan. All right, this is it. I'm at the event and I'm looking for a quick exit getaway. This shit goes out. Wish me luck. If by chance I do get him, which I will, I just didn't know that at the time, I'll need to find a way out of the casino, which if you ever been to one of these places, you'll know it's like a maze with very few exits. It would take me a good 15 to 20 minutes to briskly walk out of there. By that time, I'm sure I would get caught by the MGM Grand security team. I searched and I searched and I finally found an emergency exit that leads to the back of the casino. All right, I've done all the planning I could do. For now, I just have to sit in my hotel room and practice how to say Abagnale, which was really challenging when I first started the story. Frank Abagnale, Ab Abagnale, sorry. <laughs> the 
This is a real catch me if you can. Today, I flew out all the way to Vegas to approach Frank Abagnale. Let's see if I could actually get him. I'm walking into the Grand Ballroom, and I'm not going to lie. My heart is racing. I sit as close as possible to the side doors. The lights dim, and Frank Abagnale's superhero music starts pumping through the speakers. Abagnale enters the stage, but not from the direction I was anticipating. Should I change my plans? After the speech, should I go stage right instead of stage left? Aw, oh, crap. I seriously had no idea what I was going to do. Good morning, folks. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. I'm going to take you through a very fast-paced program, cover a lot of subjects in a very short period of time. He speaks for about an hour, and during his keynote, he barely mentions his criminal past. After his speech was over, he sat down and had a fireside chat with, get this, a former FBI agent. And I'm asking myself, wouldn't this former agent know that the man in front of him is a phony? If the things Abagnale said on stage were true, wouldn't this former agent have taken Abagnale's ethics training at Quantico? Just couldn't believe it. Okay, he's wrapping it up. It's showtime. I stuck with my original plan and rushed to stage left, but I wasn't sure. So I'm freaking out a little bit. What if I made the wrong choice? So I'm waiting and he's not coming out. So I opened the backstage door and took a peek. And there he was yucking it up with the people backstage. I took a deep breath to compose myself. I remembered that he needs to think that this is a friendly interviewer covering the event, not some 60 minutes Mike Wallace wannabe armed with gotcha questions. So I smiled and braced myself when he opened the door. Hey, Mr. Rapid, I'm doing a podcast covering the event. Um, he stopped. We shook hands. Everything is going according to plan. Such a transformational story. I mean, it's almost like unbelievable. How did you make that change? I know you talked about it on stage, but we would love to hear it. Um, I was very fortunate, first of all, that uh, after serving time in France and then Sweden and then the United States, uh, after my four-year stint on, uh, in the United States, the federal government offered to take me out of prison on the condition I go to work with an agency of the government and help educate law enforcement officers about Yes, fraud. I got him talking. Uh, it was just sure, he's giving me a canned answer, but so what? I have to be patient and let him finish. By the way, you could watch this whole unedited video on my TikTok channel, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, the whole nine yards. My handle is at pretendpod. I don't believe I was a changed person coming out of prison. I, I think that having met my wife, and keep in mind that I had no money, I had no job, I was on federal parole, and I told her about my life and where I was, and I eventually asked her to marry me, and against the wishes of her parents, she did. Uh, she gave me three wonderful sons, seven grandchildren, and that's really what changed my life. It was all about that. One more, one more. Yes. So for six years, you evaded the, the FBI, uh, pretending to be a pilot, a doctor, a professor. But how were you able to do that if you were like sitting in prison the whole time? Uh, you know, when this was all, before, I went to prison for all those things. Going to work with the FBI was after I came out of uh, out of prison. But I, I have uh, your prison records right here, and clearly they were. It took place when you were uh, supposedly things, doing all, all these things, adventures came over a period of a period of time, uh, not predicted in the movie. You know, I had nothing to do. I didn't write the book. I didn't make the movie. I didn't have anything to do with the play. Uh, those are people's views of what I did or, or didn't do at that time. And you said you never heard any of the little guys. Did you ever repay the parks or Mark Zinder for his money or anything like that? Uh, Mark Zinder was a former employee of mine who I fired 40 years ago. Uh, he went to and paid a ghostwriter to write a book. Uh, I guess he has hard feelings about that. Uh, I hope that I'm judged on what I've done with my life, not what I did with my life 50 years ago. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Take care. The moment I pulled out his prison records, which clearly shows that he was locked up from the age of 16 to 21, the room got tense. But let's see if you caught the most revealing part of his answer. You know, I had nothing to do. I didn't write the book. I didn't make the movie. I didn't have anything to do with the play. Again, let's hear it in slow-mo. You know, I had nothing to do, I didn't write the book, I didn't make the movie, I didn't have anything to do with the play. 
What? He didn't write his own autobiography? Did Frank Abagnale just concede that his life story is all made up? Wow. Even I didn't see that coming. Next time on Pretend, we're going to dive deeper into this response. Plus, I spoke to a family member who paints a disturbing picture inside the Abagnale household. He locked my grandma in like the closet for extended amounts of time. His father made him have sex with a prostitute and like in front of him. So he was pretty damaged from that experience. That's next time on Pretend. So what do you what do you guys think of this whole story? I know I've gotten a lot of messages through Patreon, through social media and emails about your thoughts on Frank Abagnale. But if you feel compelled to record it, send it in a voice memo to my email at Javier at pretendradio.org. You never know. I might compile all your messages together and make it into a bonus episode on Patreon. Or it could even make it on the show. So I'd love to hear what you think. And also, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way for other people to discover the show. And... I'm sure you're already telling everyone about this series, and and I appreciate it so much. I can tell there's a lot of new listeners, so welcome to the Pretend family. If you're curious, because there's over 100 episodes and don't know where to start, go to pretendradio.org and and click the Get Started button. It, It has a collection of some of my favorite and some of your favorite episodes, so go ahead and check that out. And again, thank you to all my new Patreon supporters. There's a whole bunch of you who signed up to help support the show, and I really appreciate it. Seriously, this episode in particular could not be done without you. Um, It costs so much money to produce this and so much time. This is just a hobby for me. For those of you who are new to the show, I actually have a day job. So quite, quite a demanding hobby. But uh, I appreciate you listening, and I can't wait to hear where this series is going because the next episode was one that I wasn't even expecting at all. And uh, it's been a fun ride, and hopefully you're learning a lot. Anyways, enough of me rambling. Take care. Have a good one, and we'll meet again in two weeks. Take care. Creative Babble.